Hello, and welcome to the Space Coast Pet Podcast, the podcast for pets and the people who love them. Now, here's your host, veterinarian Dr. Roger Welton. Happy New Year, pet lovers. Belated Happy New Year, that is, and welcome to the Space Coast Pet Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Roger Welton, aka Dr. Roger practicing veterinarian. Sorry I'm late to the game this year with my pet resolutions or New Year's resolutions uh, episode. I have been busy, folks. As you well know, I've been uh, I've been ramping up to open a new startup practice and uh, really it all came to a head in late December, early January. Had to build a medical team, had to eke out the last stages of construction, delays, 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 supply chain issues, electricians not showing up to do their job, plumbers not showing up to do their job. It just was a hot mess, but we got it done. We've been open since January 17th. I am extremely excited that uh, we made it. (laughs) And so um, we're going through the process right now of Building a clientele that takes time, it's stressful, uh, you know, it, it doesn't happen overnight, but um, we're off to a good start, and, and for all my local listeners, I'm so pleased and, and grateful that you chose Premier Veterinary Care. Uh, we are the, the new kid on the block, and um, thanks for giving us a chance, and, and welcome to this pet podcast if you are listening for the first time. So, everybody out there, I apologize for the late start, but here we are, better late than never. What a better way to kick off the new year than with listener email from my favorite groomer, Paula Q. Self-dubbed favorite groomer, but yes, you are correct, Paula Q. You are my favorite groomer. Writing to us from California, let's dive right into it. Hi, Dr. Roger. It's your favorite groomer, Paula, from California. Happy New Year. I hope you and your family are well. I have a question. Recently, it has come to my attention that a local rescue I support is doing spays and neuters at eight, nine weeks of age. They say it's because it makes the puppies more adoptable and waiting longer puts the pups at risk of not getting homes. I have asked a few vets in my area and all have said this is not what they recommend, but they know certain rescues do this. This particular rescue has their own vet that they employ. What are your thoughts? Thanks for your response. Paula, P.S. The Corgi says hi. Tell your lovely Corgi I said hello as well. And thank you for this wonderful question. It is such a good topic and it's such a relevant one. Rescues do commonly do this. There's two reasons. Number one, yes, it does make them more adoptable with the adoption fee. The spay neuter is out of the way. In the case of dogs, they're heartworm screened. Dogs and cats, they're parasite uh, fecal screened. They've got their full complement of immunizations, and it's a really a good deal. And uh, on the other side of it, ethically, they're not releasing animals that are intact. Let's face it, not everybody's responsible. Some knuckleheads go out and adopt a pet because they want to give it as a Christmas gift, and they give it to someone who didn't want a dog or cat for Christmas. And lo and behold, that dog or cat ends up loose or homeless somewhere, If it's not spayed and neutered, it's contributing to the very problem the rescue groups are trying to combat. So so I see where they're coming from. Their heart is in the right place. However, 
from strictly a medical point of view, <clears throat> I'm not a proponent of this. I think that, you know, the, the further, especially with females, the further you get south of six months of age, um, as far as the spay is concerned, you increase the, and this is, this is truth, by the way, it's documented, that the, the more you increase the incidence of urinary incontinence as early as middle age, but certainly by the senior years, uh, where the female can't hold in her urine while she sleeps. It is a very treatable condition. It's a very safely treatable condition, effectively treatable condition. But, um, you know, why, why predispose the animal to that when you can just wait to six months and, and not... It's not to say it eliminates the probability of that problem, but it certainly uh, reduces it significantly. That stated, it's not a foregone conclusion. A female spade south of six months of age is going to get urinary confidence. It just raises uh, the, the, the probability of it significantly. So... That's one way reason to not do it. As far as comparison of neuter with males, most of the studies have been done on large breed and giant breed dogs, and so there's not a ton of data really letting us know what is the consequence of such a young uh, neuter the further you get south of six months of age. Um, I I gotta believe that you know in the case of the large and giant breed dogs, it, it's pretty much accepted that there is a slight uptick in hip, hip dysplasia and tears of the uh, cranial crucial ligament of the knee uh, later in life when these animals are neutered south of a year of age. Um, that's a whole other topic. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but very quickly, that slight uptick is statistically not an issue as far as I'm concerned. For some people, you know, 1.2% increase is significant. It isn't to me, but again, whole other topic. <laughs> but um, we haven't really taken a look at that as we get further south of six months of age. So my general policy is I'm not really advocating for spay neuter south of six months of age. Um, for cats, it's a little bit different. For me, it's three months, three pounds, whichever comes first. Generally, that takes us to about 16 to 20 weeks of age. Um, there, the data on cats is it's pretty clear cut. Cats really don't suffer at all from the lack of the hormones. Uh, there is no developmental issues, no uh, urinary retention issue, nothing like that. So, so really, I don't worry about it when it comes to cats. Still, I don't think it, you know, eight nine week animal should be going through surgery just yet if you can avoid it. But again, I understand where the rescues are coming from. So, what's the solution? Well, um, maybe create a voucher program where okay, here's your voucher when your dog or cat is this age or this weight, uh, come in and we will do the spay neuter complimentary. It's not to say that everybody's going to come back and have it done necessarily. Um, Some people may not want their adopted pet spayed or neutered in a shelter environment. They want their own vet to do it. Maybe just provide proof that it was done as part of some kind of contractual obligation. Um, Just just food for thought to sort of try to help that situation. But Paul, I agree with you and I agree with your local vets that you corresponded with. I don't think from a general health perspective, it's, it's, it's the best thing. Thank you for your contribution. As always, please keep them coming. You always ask the best questions. So, um, and, and everybody else, you know, the, for me, the email correspondence and the, the contribution to, from my listeners, it's, it's part, part of the really fun part of me doing this. Uh, keep, keep those coming from a general perspective. There are a couple in the queue. I can only do one per episode. So if I didn't get to you, Uh, Just know that uh, I may go back to those and uh, air those. So uh, stay tuned. So let's talk about top pet resolutions. Um, I'm going to really just kind of select three 
<clears throat> topics today that are in the forefront of my mind, so I don't uh, rant too long. <laughs> so, you know, there's things that are prevalent from the previous year. And, you know, some things are year in and year out. You can go back to last year's and the years before. And this first one I'm going to talk about, I think is it's it's one of them. And that is, folks, can we please feed our dogs dog food? Por favor, good quality dog food. You know, and 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 not this gimmicky stuff like the grain free and the the all natural this and the all natural that. First off, you know, when you call something all natural, yet it's in a kibble. <laughs> please be suspicious, right there. There's nothing natural about a kibble. Um, it just cracks me up. It's oh, it's all natural. Oh, it's holistic. It's a holistic diet. What does that even mean? Do you know, in the pet food industry. There's no such label. You can call something hypoallergenic or limited ingredient. You could call it low calorie. You could call it healthy weight. That's all legit. You could you can call it uh, fortified with comprehensive vitamin nutrition. You know that's all legit. But what does holistic mean? It's just it's just. It's a gimmick. So when you see these things, know that this is probably some boutique-style diet. It's not doing anything right as far as what the criteria are for good good pet food, and uh, they're they're luring you in with with you know uh, th- that label of holistic or all natural, and they're showing like farm goods on the label and and whatnot. Um, you know, l- look at three criteria, and I don't want to be a cheerleader for any one particular brand, but just just look at this. Three things, real quick. And then I want to get into like the new the new fads because we, we know about the grain free. Uh, I've podcasted about about sixteen brands of the grain free that I don't I I there's no evidence that this has been addressed. These 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 brands that have been identified by the FDA to to cause deadly heart disease in dogs because of the way they're formulated in getting to the grain-free process. Um, there's no, I've seen nothing, no move to identify that issue, yet people continue to feed these. Um, at any rate, that's another rabbit hole I don't want to get into, but you know, the, what, what, what's the latest fads that people are going to? And, and want to touch on that a little bit. But as far as uh, what criteria to go by, so there's three. You want the... Food at a minimum to have an AFCO certification, American Association of Feed Control officials. It is a voluntary participation on the on the side of the pet food company that this watchdog agency is invited to come in, inspect their facilities, inspect their ingredients for quality control to meet minimum requirements. I'm going to tell you by itself, it's not super impressive. There are some crappy diets that have AFCO certification, but it is a starting point. If we don't even have that, ooh, you're dealing with something probably very bad, okay? AFCO certified. You can just Google that and see what that label looks like. You want that at a minimum. Number two, you want to have a pet food company with only one, or with, I'm sorry, with at least one veterinary clinical nutritionist on staff. The best company out there, in my opinion, has three. The second best has two, and the third best has one. Um, and, you know, the, the, what a veterinary clinical nutritionist is, they're a veterinarian like me, but have, a, in addition to a doctorate in veterinary medicine, a PhD in animal nutrition. 
And so they're overseeing the process. They're formulating the diets. They're cooking them properly so the, the nutrients don't get denatured. They're mixing everything correctly so we don't end up with things like dilated cardiomyopathy as a consequence. So that's number two. Number three, you want to make sure that the pet food company you choose is doing actual feeding trials so that they, they are proving their claims. They are tracking these animals, looking at growth studies, bone density studies, regular blood work, longevity, all that stuff that goes into their claims. How well are we providing nutrition for these pets uh, and, and how is it affecting their quality of life and their, their lifespan? And um, very important. And when you look at the world of pet food, there's only three companies that fulfill all three of these criteria, and that is three. <laughs> That's it. Um, it's amazing. I call them the big three because they're the only three companies that fulfill all these criteria. So go out there, figure it out. Um, as far as the trends, the big thing in the last year is, oh, more and more people are feeding one of two diets. One's called Fresh Pet and one is called the farmer's dog. Um, they sell this stuff at pet stores. You can buy it. It looks you know, very much like real human-grade food. It smells like it. it. Smells good. Even I look at I look at some of these dietary formulations, and I'm like, hmm, I don't. I think I could eat that for lunch. And and so that's all good and fine. It seems to be formulated responsibly. Um, although I see veterinarians on the staffs of these diets, but I don't see veterinary clinical nutritionists, so they're not fulfilling that criteria. Um, you know, so so I would say that maybe is, is something of a concern, but, uh, you know, the, the feeding trials, you know, I'd have to look into that. I, I, when, what I've looked into thus far, I'm not seeing evidence of feeding trials. I don't know if they've been even around long enough to publish feeding trials, but it just... Okay, it's nice that there's veterinarians on staff, but look, I'm a veterinarian. I can't formulate a diet. I don't think your average veterinarian could. I can look at the breakdown of nutrients and, okay, well, this much crude protein should be fed to a dog. This much crude protein should be fed to a cat. Uh, this much crude fat, this much crude fiber. And give you the basics of that, but how that all comes together in a diet when it's fully mixed and cooked, you know, that's not in my realm. I, I, I couldn't do that. So if I ever start a uh, pet food company and I don't go out and get my PhD in clinical nutrition or I don't hire one, don't buy my diet because I think that's essential for a good diet. So, you know, there are already some red flags about this, these diets as far as that's concerned. Maybe they're going to remedy that. Maybe it, it, that information, you got to dig a little bit to, to figure it out. But um, I came across my biggest issue with these diets and... Um, it was just this week in my new facility. I saw a chihuahua, two-year-old chihuahua that came in very sick and the dog eats fresh pet. And the dog had raging pancreatitis and hemorrhagic colitis. And really is the pancreatitis that was a driving force for all of this. Well, I was able to successfully treat the dog, stabilize the dog. She, uh, she was doing much better. And what I told the owners was, well, once pancreatitis, always pancreatitis. We're going to be predisposed to this for life. We need to feed this this patient a low-residue, low-fat, protein-controlled diet. So the, the protein's got to be limited. 
It's going to be a very high biological value, so it's very digestible, absorbable, and we need to be low residue and minimally, minimally reactive to the gut. And, and so one of my favorites is it's called Hill's ID, I slash D. Great diet to prevent pancreatitis. Well, guess what? The dog won't eat it. So, you know, we have this patient that is on the mend, doing better with treatment and, and ready to be discharged. And home we go. We're still not 100%. And we've been fed this like human grade food. And good luck getting a chihuahua being fed human grade food to transition to a dog food. And, and now these, these, these folks are having to cook for this dog. Um, boiled chicken and rice. We're trying to add in some French, fresh green beans. And, you know, I'm hitting the veterinary information network trying to come up with pancreas friendly yet nutritive uh, home cooked regimens. So this dog could be fed properly. The owners are like, fit to be tied. They're like, you know, I wish I never fed this fresh pet to begin with. Who would have thought I was going to have to feed my dog a prescription diet to keep her alive and now she won't eat it. And of course she's a teacup. She's five and a half pounds. They go on a hunger strike. You can't play the, you know, you can't play the tough love thing like you can do with bigger dogs and be like, that's all you're getting. Take it or leave it. Either eat that or starve. They skip a few meals. They get, they get the point. Little chihuahua, 5.5 pounds, they can get hypoglycemic. So boy, we got our challenges ahead of us. And no matter how we slice it, we're going to have a really heck of a time balancing this dog's nutrition. So to me, that's the biggest knock on the fresh pet and the farmer's dog. You're giving human grade food. Well, guess what? Disease specific nutrition is a thing. It's one of, one of the big aspects of uh, small animal medicine one and two. When you take those courses, you come across diseases and then you get into clinical nutrition, how you manage them. Uh, the, the kidney diets are, are gigantic. Um, the, 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 the kidney formulations for, for, for patients in kidney failure are nothing short of magical when it comes to being able to maintain these patients um, with good quality and keeping the disease process at bay. And yet, nope, can't feed it because we've been fed human-grade food for all this time. Now we have an older animal who, good luck changing the eating habits. And, oh, and we have some systemic compromise in the mix. No, they're not going to eat the diet. And, And that's the biggest problem. You know, just know that there's a very high probability that one day your dog will need a prescription diet. So will your cat. Luckily, this phenomenon is not quite as popular in cats. It is heading there. <laughs> I was just at um, Fresh Pet and, and Farmer Dog websites prior to this episode. Yeah, they're getting in the cat game as well. Thankfully, interestingly, a lot of cats prefer cat food to human-grade food, which which I find interesting, but but that's probably a good good phenomenon in, in, you know, for, from our perspective. But as far as disease-specific prescription nutrition, yes, it, there's a high likelihood your pet's going to need that at some point, whether we come, become diabetic and need a glycemic control diet, go into kidney failure, go into heart failure. There are specific diets that help manage all of these things, and they do a really good job of it. So that, to me, is a big reason. And also the fact that you know those criteria that I talked about do not seem to be being met at this point in time when it comes to those two diets. So that's my first thing. And then, of course, grain-free. I think we've really proven that not only is grain-free not – it has no proven benefit for the longevity and health of the pet. It also, in in the case of dogs, can be deleterious to their health and predispose them to deadly cardiac disease. So just throw that away. Forget the grain-free. 
Um, and then the raw diet. Raw has, has, you know, I think on one hand, the veterinarians a bit of, have overblown the raw food tech, uh, toxicity potential. Um, I think that if you're getting raw food from the right sources, you know, it's shipped frozen, uh, it's, it's handled properly, it comes from the right sources, not from the grocery store that's just been sliced up by the butcher that has, you know, a fairly high potential to have uh, foodborne uh, uh potentially toxic pathogens, um, you know, if, if you're getting the right sources, I think, I think the, the, the raw food toxicity risk is pretty much as low as in line with us eating sushi. But the, the big thing though is the big takeaway is very often these, these diets are not balanced. And secondly, they, there's no proven health benefit. There is zero proven. I mean, we've looked at this as people, this phenomenon started, I want to say in the early two thousands around when I graduated, and I remember hearing about it for the first time when I was a new graduate. I'm like, what? What, what are people doing? And, and so we have a lot of data going back to then, and there's no proven health benefits. So why do it? You know, it's just get your dog on, get your cat on a good quality pet food. All right. So that's the biggest takeaway. Feed your pet pet food. <laughs> okay. All right. Next, next topic. I want to talk about adopt versus purchase. So... I don't want to upset anybody or rattle anybody who has a particular passion for certain breeds, whether it's canine or feline. I understand that. I am a loon when it comes to Labrador retrievers. I just have an affinity for that breed. I love them so much, yet I don't want to purchase a, a dog. Um, I don't want to feed money into the pockets of breeders and encourage them to continue doing what they're doing. Because breeders, for the most part, and if you're a breeder, I don't care, <laughs> are horrible people. They're not doing anything right. They're not doing right it right because they don't take the time to learn, potentially. Maybe they're decent people in terms of they do truly love the animals, but they're ignorant to the nth degree and are doing everything wrong, not doing the right screening, putting out puppies that are ge- genetically defunct and a future tragedy for these people just wanting to have a, a, a fulfilling life with a with a pet for a long time, a healthy pet, hopefully. But that's not happening out of ignorance, or, or maybe there is willful ignorance and they just don't care. Whatever the whatever the case, I just find the majority of quote unquote breeders out there are are not good individuals. They're just they're peddling misery. And and they're 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 toying with with precious lives that don't deserve it, and you know the the good breeders out there that are doing the screening and all that, and they're they're ethically breeding and they treat the animals right and and all that. They'll say, well, they're not really breeders. We're the we're breeders. We're doing everything right. We're getting OFA certifications. We're we're doing everything by the book, and we love our animals, our breeding animals. We're treated well. We raise, we hand raise the puppies or kittens. Um, yeah, that's true. That's, I mean, I understand your point of view that they're not real breeders, but unfortunately, you're like one percent of what's out there. Ninety-nine percent of what's out there are people that just throw two animals together, do the business, and pop out some puppies or kittens. Um, and so you're just getting a bad product, honestly. I hate to call puppies or kittens products, but in the end, you are a consumer purchasing a product. <laughs> and you're getting le- lemons in many cases. 
um, one of the most horrific things I see is my, my uh, girlfriend, Jill, who I've been in a committed relationship with for some time. She uh, is a certified veterinary technician. She's a head surgical tech at the Animal Eye Center. And she's already seeing, you know, Shih Tzus and uh, Boston Terriers and, and Boxers and all these buggy-eyed breeds that are uh, called brachycephalic breeds, technically, that are susceptible to dry eye. Um, that she's seeing it in puppies. She had to do an enucleation. They had to remove an eye because his eye was so dry and desiccated, it ruptured uh, because it formed an ulcer. And it's like a nine-month-old Shih Tzu missing an eye already, and the other one's already dry, and they're doing everything they can to save that eye at, at nine months old. So that's what you're looking at, right? So so um, adopting a mutt, <laughs> you know, I, I just adopted a mutt. He's healthy as heck. He's he. I did a DNA on him. He is uh, like 30% pit, which I, I couldn't believe because he doesn't look at all like a pit, but he's got Australian cattle dog, he's got Siberian husky, he's got a little bit of shepherd and a little bit of lab, and then 20, 20% was too mixed to determine, <laughs> so they call it super mutt, um, but he's fun, he's got, you know, little traits, you know, that show from each 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 breed that's gone into his crazy mix, um, and, and he's healthy, and he came potty trained he uh year of age young fun dog basically almost full grown but acting like a like very much a puppy still and very moldable and it's been a great experience but let's say you are particularly attached to certain breeds like i love my labrador retriever as well there's there's pure breed rescues out there all you have to do is google it they're all over the place you might have to drive a little bit to go find that dog but they are all over where you can you can get a, uh, a pure breed you're particularly passionate about as a rescue. I have a, a, a client that recently got a boxer, a, a 10-month-old boxer through rescue. How amazing is that? <laughs> you know, and, and um, yeah, that boxer came from a breeder and might come, you know, eventually learn to, to have some of those genetic issues that, you know, breeders are not accounting for as they're try- breeding these animals and trying to get it out of the genome, but... Still, you got your pure breed boxer. We're ten months old. We're already, you know, we've proven to be healthy to date, and and you've saved a life because for whatever reason this pet was given up. Uh, they're out, they're all out there. I have a rescue Labrador Retriever. She's and I did a DNA on her. She's a hundred percent Labrador. She acts like a Labrador. She's gorgeous. She's in every way a lab except the fact she doesn't like water, which is very bizarre. She's not a swimmer, but other than that, she's very much lab, um, and she's a rescue. So. You name your pure breed that you have a passion for, you can find it. Cats, you can even find cats. Right now, as we speak, I'm looking at the Facebook page of, hold on, I lost it. There it is. Florida Siamese, helping Siamese, Oriental, and snowshoe cats of Florida. So here in my own home state, I'm looking at all these pictures of these animals up for adoption, these gorgeous Siamese cats that are up for rescue. I... Here's one right here. There's, there's, you know, uh, I'm looking at this one that probably looks about five years old. But right above that one, there is kittens. There's Siamese kittens. Um, here's one that's one year, uh, one year of age. I personally like to rescue cats when they're like young, but but like two, two to three years of age. And the reason I like that is because you know the full temperament of the cat. Um, the Cats are interesting when 
you adopt a kitten, you're going to end up with likely a very different cat than the kitten you adopted. Uh, most kittens are really, you know, sweet and outgoing and they, they're fun. And, and, uh, but little by little they can change. They can become more standoffish. They, they can remain friendly. They, they can become more outgoing. Um, the adult temperament of, of the cat is very, very unknown because the socialization process of the feline actually, it's two years long. And so I like to know what that adult temperament is going to be before I adopt the cat because, me, I want I want a cuddly lap cat that's gonna gonna be my little couch buddy. I don't want a standoffish, you know, ornament that just kind of hides in the closet until I go to bed and then is out and about, you know, prowling around, you know. And if 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 that's what that's your particular taste and that's what you like, you know, no offense or anything, that's what you like. I like outgoing, cuddly cats, and uh, I want to know that that's that's what I'm gonna end up with when I adopt one. So yeah, I'm gonna go for that like two-ish plus years of age because you still got the young cat that it's going to be a lot of fun and you're going to have some longevity with but at the same time you know their adult temperament is evident and what you see is what you're is what you get so to speak so really take a look at rescue instead of of buying and feeding the pockets of these breeders and certainly please don't purchase from pet stores Uh, i know people that do it are like oh but it's been sitting in the cage for so long and um, they see themselves as rescuing the, the 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 puppy or kitten but but you're just you know that you're allowing the the pet store and the puppy mills or catteries that feed those pet stores to play on your compassion um it's just contributing to the problem it's prolonging the problem and make it making it so there's going to be more of those poor animals that are populating those cages and playing on more people's compassion. So, um, look look at these rescues. They these people work so hard. They're they're volunteers. They they do everything in their power to to just kind of combat this never ending onslaught of unwanted animals. And so you know, help help these people get these animals off their hands. Give these animals great lives and and really really justify their work. Um, honor their work. My last point today is let's talk about the newest generation of of flea tick heartworm products and the misinformation that's out there about them. It's happening more and more. It was really prevalent this past year. It was frustrating. So there's three products out there. NextGuard, uh, it's a foxolaner is the active ingredient. There is Brevecto, which is Floralaner, and then there is um, Simparicatrio, which is Suralaner. And so the common nomenclature there is Laner. <laughs> so uh, these are new generation uh, flea tick preventative medications that are taken orally. They work by um, causing overexcitation of the... Uh, neuro neurological apparatus of invertebrate animals. So by invertebrate, we're talking about they don't have a skeleton. They have exoskeletons. So what are we referring to? We're referring to bugs. And specifically, we're trying. We're referring to as it com- pertains to dogs and cats. We're talking about mites. We're talking about fleas, and we're talking about ticks. And so the 
when it comes to vertebrates, so mammals, in this case, we're talking about dogs and cats, uh, are very, they, they don't, the, the, pretty much immune to the neuroexcitation that's caused in invertebrates. It's been tested, 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 tested. Um, Brevecto, for example, I'm just mentioning this one because I, I'm, I, I actually read the study. There, every, every medication that the FDA approves has what's called an LD50, and it's lethal dose 50 is what that stands for, and that pertains to uh, the the number the, the the maximum or the minimum dose it takes to kill 50% of um, a lab rat test population, and so they're going to keep upping that dose until at least half the lab rats die. And then that's going to be their LD50. And that tells us that, okay, that's the maximum dose that, you know, it's starting to kill off rats. And you take that information and you can sort of use it as sort of a toxicology guideline. We don't want to approach that dose. So Brevecto does not have an LD50 because the dose was getting so freakishly high that the FDA just came in and said, okay, you're good. You're not killing any rats. You can stop right there. It's been long enough. <laughs> We're gonna and that's that was twenty times the calculated dose. So at twenty times the dose, still not killing one rat. So what does that tell you? Pretty safe stuff. And when it comes to fleas, ticks, and mites, but especially ticks, uh, you're talking about the potential for serious disease transmission. So these things are not just a nuisance. In the case of fleas, it can really irritate the skin. It can set off what's called flea allergy dermatitis. It can cause some pretty nasty stuff. Mites, uh, we've heard of sarcoptic mange. Mange causes skin infection. Hair loss can be very challenging to get rid of. And there is the inherited um, non-infectious mange called demodectic mange. And that causes all kinds of problems. Very, very well treated and managed with one of these three products. So the um, Brevecto is a standalone uh, flea tick. And you use that in conjunction with a monthly, that's an every three month uh, medication in dogs. In cats, it's every two months. And essentially, it kills fleas and ticks. Um, and uh, with dogs, you're going to need an, an accompanied monthly heartworm preventative to go with that. But um, it's a very popular product. Symparica Trio is your all in one because it takes the Suralaner, that is the flea tick uh, product that, that kills off. Um, fleas and ticks, but it combines it in this, in this, uh, a tab with milbamycin oxime, which is a heartworm preventative. So that's your, there's two medications in one tab. And so you do that once a month and that's sort of your, kind of your first all in one. Um, and then there is NexGuard. NexGuard is a monthly flea tick. And again, you would take that in conjunction with a monthly heartworm preventative. So the reason I bring these up is because <clears throat> The FDA went back with these products and they made they, they required them to put a label on warning about potential for uh, initiating seizure disorders. Um, they did that in retrospect. It was did not was not something observed or even considered an issue during the FDA trials, and that's why they were that language was not on the labels of these products. For, for a few years, actually, but it was done in hindsight because there was reports of seizure activity. Rare, but but 
you know, I think legitimate reporting of seizures. And of course, that all gets out there. Look at the label on this and why are you why are you recommending something that caused seizures for something as simple as prevention of fleas and ticks? And you know, there was a big especially this year, a big, big um internet you know, I would call it sort of a debacle because you know, every Tom, Dick, and Harry starts posting on Facebook about it. Next thing you know, people are coming in convinced that we're peddling products that cause seizures. Let's let's sift through this because the FDA caused all kinds of problems with this because it's they're not really the label doesn't reflect the reality. The reality is that in in patients with existing seizure potential. So we already have a seizure disorder, say epilepsy, um, in place. There is a rare potential to lower that seizure threshold and aggravate that condition. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say rare again because it is rare. And that's why like it took a few years for the FDA to take that look back and say, hey, this is a this this is really statistically feasible that it seems to be allowing these seizures to break through. And we need to add that to the labeling as a requirement for you to sell the product. So um, let's be clear again, underlying seizure disorder in place, rare potential to lower the threshold and allow seizures to surface. So that means that let's say there was a very, very mild epilepsy that has gone under the radar of the owner because it's, you know, there's been only petite mal seizures, which if they're really, really mild, we don't always, we don't always pick up on that. It could look like a little tremor. Now they go on a Suralaner or a Foxalaner or a Fluralaner, and now they actually witness a, a seizure. Well, that disorder was already in place. At some point, that's going to progress to seizures. It's just brought out a little bit sooner because of the product. Again, that's rare. So let me give you an example of my own dog. My own dog, my Labrador Retriever, the reason I, asked, I ended up with a rescue Labrador Retriever is because as a puppy, she had a condition that we diagnosed called uh, canine epileptoid cramping syndrome. It is an excitatory seizure-like presentation. It's not quite like epilepsy because it's just an abnormal uh, electrical nidus of activity that occurs specifically mildly right at the base of the cerebellum. So her head would tick and then she would just kind of lose her balance and fall over, but she was lucid. She didn't even want to take treats. The episodes would last one or two minutes and then she was okay. Um, what we learned was the treatment for it was to feed her a gluten-free diet, uh, this, this condition. And please don't misquote me. This does not pertain to epilepsy. There is no gluten connection to epilepsy, specifically canine epileptic cramping syndrome, a very rare disorder. It is tied to gluten. I feed her a gluten-free diet. I have, she's five, she's going to be five years old in June. I have not had her on anticonvulsant medications since she was nine months. Uh, doing very well. Well, guess what? I give her Simperica Trio every month. Simperica Trio has Suralaner. Um, I like the product. I like the all-in-one. I have a busy life. I don't want to give multiple meds. I live in Florida where heartworms very prevalent. I live in Florida where intestinal parasites are very prevalent. I live in Florida where fleas and ticks are very prevalent. I can prevent all of that with one tab once a month, and my dog has not had one issue since taking it for the last three years of her life. So I put my money where my mouth is. Even with an epileptic patient, it's still going to be rare that you're going to lower that threshold. Still, do you want to tempt fate? No. 
if you got a, a, a legit epileptic, I probably wouldn't use one of these three products. I'd, I'd ask your veterinarian for alternative. But let's be clear. Please help me set the record straight. Uh, Paula Q, the, the groomer out there, you probably get these questions a lot because I'm sure you deal with occasional fleas and ticks. The, um, they don't cause seizures. They have a small potential to aggravate underlying seizure conditions, but no, they don't cause seizures. And veterinarians are not knowingly selling product that cause seizures. Let's set the record straight. Uh, social media and internet are a wonderful thing, but man, they have really just changed how I have to conduct my everyday flow of practice. I just find myself, you know, just having conversation after conversation, trying to just clarify the reality of of pe- people, pet owners coming in that are reading these things and believing them. And, you know, it, it's not only am I dealing with having to do the 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 regular day-to-day veterinary medicine, which is keeping your pet healthy and giving nose to tail good physicals and diagnosing disease and recommending treatment. I have to contend with Dr. Google and social media and questioning by virtue of that what I'm prescribing and what I'm recommending. And it's like, it's just different. And um, you feel like a broken record sometimes having these conversations over and over again. And so, um, Part of, part of my platform here is to help not just myself, but the industry as a whole to, to you know, give the bene- veterinarians the benefit of the doubt and, um, you know, raise these discussions. But, you know, I don't mind clarifying, but to sit there and, you know, outright have a debate and, and the person just going with that Facebook page that, that's claiming that such and such medication kills animals. <laughs> Um, and, and, and believing that over the veterinarian they supposedly trust after I take a little bit of time to clarify that, no, 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 that's really not true. You know, you're just wasting my time. You're wasting the time of the practitioner. We should be talking about your pet. We should be talking about what's best for your pet, not some conspiracy theory on Facebook. So anyway, that's my three pet resolutions for the new year. Sorry the episode was so long, but you know, with these things, year in, year out, it tends to be a long episode because it's the culmination of a year of experience and it's often a lot to talk about. Keep those emails coming, please. And thanks for tuning in. I will not be so long for the next episode, I promise. Take care, everyone. Thanks again for listening. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.